The first question I like to ask everybody, Lauren, is who is Lauren Shippen? Well, I don't ask them that, but I'll ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, uh, what a question! Um, I would I would say uh, a writer creator working mostly in audio. Now, how did you get involved in podcasting? So about four years ago, um, I was uh, you know living in LA and and acting and you know trying to to forge my path as a as a creative person and just really wanted to make something that I could control every aspect of and that I could make myself and not have to rely on, you know, other people's expertise or funding or whatever. Um, and I was really enjoying a couple of fiction podcasts at the time and, uh, just thought it'd be fun to, to try my hand at it. And I had this idea for this character who was a time traveler and only time traveler when she had panic attacks and started to think about, what, who I could put her into conversation with. And then, um, I realized, you know, it'd be interesting to put her in therapy and the whole story kind of grew from there. Um, but it was really just a desire to, yeah, to make something and, and, you know, have a, have a creative project that was entirely on my own. So which fiction podcast were you listening to? I'm curious. I was listening to welcome to night Vale, of course, which I feel like is, is a lot of people's very first, um, fiction podcast. Um, and I actually, it's not a, it's not a podcast, but I was also listening to a lot of cabin pressure, which is a BBC radio Four uh, sitcom. Got you. Now, how did you, you decide you want to get into podcasting or audio? You know, what steps did you take? I mean, the, the first step, you know, was, was writing, <laughs> writing the scripts. Um, you know, I wrote, I wrote nine episodes and, uh, reached out to a couple of, of friends of mine who I'd been in acting class with and asked if they would be willing to kind of hop in and try this thing just for, for free as an experiment. Um, and I borrowed my friend's blue Yeti mic and, you know, kind of figured out how to, how to use it and, and, hmm. you know, got Adobe audition and <laughs> figured out how to, how to edit. Um, and just, I mean, really it was just, it was just a trial and error and lo watching lots of YouTube tutorials and Googling lo lots of things about, you know, what's the best RSS feed host and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, the first step was just, you know, writing essentially, you know, the, the first season especially is just scenes. They're just, you know, long scenes of, of therapy sessions. And so I was just sitting down and writing those scripts and then, you know, roping some, some actors into it. So what's it like to sit down and write nine episodes of a show? Um, it was it was pretty gradual um, and then sort of all at once, uh, if that makes sense. So I wrote the first episode actually back in 2014 um, and very little actually changed from from that initial script and what ended up in the podcast. But I wrote it and I sent it to some friends and sort of like started, you know, tossing around some other ideas. And then I just sat on it for a year because I was really busy with other things. And I, you know, uh, was just like hustling and working at a restaurant and acting and all this kind of stuff. And it just didn't, I didn't really think that I could write. I didn't think it was something I could do because I'd never really done it before. I, you know, wrote short stories and half finished novels when I was growing up, but never anything I shared with anybody. And I, I, I never, you know, took a creative writing class or anything like that. Um, so I, I think I just sort of got a little bit of, of imposter syndrome about it. And then finally, you know, about a year later, I was just very, very, uh, creatively unfulfilled and just decided to, to revisit it because it had just been on my mind. And in the, in the interim year, all these other characters had, had kind of come up and, and Dr. Bright was really beginning to take form in my head. And so I figured out, okay, like here's the two characters that I've been thinking of that interest me most other, other than, than, you know, Sam and Dr. Bright, it's, it's Chloe, this mind reader and Caleb, this empath. And I'm just going to sit down and write, you know, their first episode. And so I did that. 
And I realized like, okay, well, you know, this kind of three set of three is nice. So I'll do three sets of three. So, you know, nine episodes, um, three patients, three sessions each. Um, and then just sort of thinking about like what the arc for each character I wanted and little seeds I wanted to plant for, you know, this, this mystery in my, that had been building in my own head of, of who Dr. Bright is and what her motivations are. Um, and then from there, you know, after I could sort of had those first three written, um, it went, it went pretty quickly. Um, I think I wrote, you know, the first nine scripts in about two months, which in retrospect actually isn't that, that quickly, uh, cause they're pretty short scripts. But for me at the time, definitely felt like, like writing a lot very, very quickly. So tell us about the conversations you have with people that you want to be in your podcast. So um, one of them, Anna Laurie, who also did all of our graphic design for the Bright Sessions, um, is one of my best friends. And so she was, you know, kind of hearing about the about the process as I was going through it. And I wrote the character of Chloe really specifically for her. And so that was, you know, just an easy kind of organic thing because we love making stuff together. We met in a UCB improv class and just, you know, it was, it was sort of a no, a no brainer. Um, and then for, for Brigan and Julia, um, Caleb and Dr. Bright respectively, I had been in acting class with them for maybe a year, year and a half at that point and just really admired their work and, and thought they were really cool, but didn't really know them that, that well, which is, really funny to think about now because they're two of my closest friends. Um, but I just reached out to them over Facebook message and like a joint Facebook message and was like, Hey, like I I'm writing this thing right now. And I've been thinking about you guys when writing these characters and I don't know if, you know, if you would be interested, you know, I can't pay you, but it'll be really quick and I'll do everything else. Kind of like very kind of hat in hand, uh, message. They like to make fun of me for that now. Like you were so uncertain. Um, but yeah, I just, I just reached out and kind of asked if they would be willing to kind of come in and read. And then they said yes. Cause you know, they were just so, so willing to try what was, you know, in a lot of ways, a new medium for them and a new way, a new way of jumping into, into an acting role. Um, and we had a, the four of us had a table read where we read all nine episodes in, in one sitting and just sort of went through it, which was exhausting. Um, and then we recorded and we recorded the first episode of each patient sort of by themselves. And then once we got through that sort of particular, uh, that, that first session, I was like, oh, okay, we can probably do, uh, you know, both the remaining episodes for this character in one recording session. So other than Julia, who obviously was in every recording session, each actor only had, two recording sessions for that first season. Okay. So, um, where does the story come from? Um, it comes from Sam was really the, the first, the first step. So she's the character that I play, the, the time traveler. And she was just rolling around in my head because I was thinking about, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing where I can't quite remember if I was trying to think about stories to tell in audio or if I was thinking about her and thought that she would work well in audio. Cause I think they sort of happen simultaneously, but I was just spending a lot of time in LA traffic, um, and listening to these, you know, these, these, uh, audio dramas and thinking about, uh, sort of my own, my own struggles with anxiety and the, the sensation of having a panic attack. Um, and, how interesting it would be if that manifested in some sort of supernatural sci-fi way. Um, and so there were a couple different iterations of, of Sam as a character. You know, I, I knew I wanted her to be an isolated person who kind of travels into these different universes. And, you know, that, that sort of had taken a couple different forms at first she was traveling into novels and things like that. And, um, and then as I, I started to think about my own anxiety and was struggling with panic attacks myself, um, it just sort of, the 
all of the various threads of ideas that I'd been having kind of formed into, into that character. I spent a lot of time just thinking about how I would tell her story in, in audio. And eventually I, I realized like, okay, I don't want to listen to my voice the whole time. I don't want to edit my voice the whole time. You know, I, I want there to be another person in there. Uh, and that's when I thought of, well, maybe she's talking to a therapist and then that kind of opened the floodgates. Cause then it all became about like, who's this therapist? Why does she have a client who, you know, can, can time travel? Who are her other clients? Um, and it just sort of, it just sort of spun out from there. Now, storytelling podcasts are are not easy. It's not as easy as me just calling you up and, you know, we're doing a question answer podcast. So you get all these voices together, you do the recording, then you're going into the studio to edit it, right? And right now, right now, it's, it's, it's an idea, you're not making money from it. And so, you know, kind of take us through the process of how difficult that is from, you know, you're writing scripts and then you're asking people to help you out and, and now you're editing, you know, it's a, it's a long process. Some of the storyteller um, podcasters that we spoke to in the past, you have a huge staff that are helping them do this. Yes. And now I have a staff, which is very nice. But I, I, I think I, despite the fact that I knew nothing about making a podcast when I first started, um, I knew, I knew a little bit about, about, um, sounds just from I had you know I, I was a music major in college and I had a radio show and like the college radio that I had like you know turned into an mp3 that I up, uploaded to like mixed cloud um, it's probably still out there somewhere honestly um and so I, I knew like a little bit about some things um but despite the fact that I knew nothing about podcasting I think I the one thing that I I will credit myself with like making a smart choice was that I knew I I didn't know that much and so I knew to keep it simple and so I knew to, I, I, I made it specifically so that the, you know, the uh, format of the show is that you're hearing these recordings that this therapist is taking because that would justify in world a crappy sound quality. Um, I thought that people, the audience might be more willing to, to have the sound be a little bit shoddy if it, if it was like for sort of narrative purposes. Right. And then I also kept it, um, just very simple, uh, script wise, you know, two people in a room, it's one scene they're ultimately very easy to cut together. Um, and I also, I think just my experience as an actor and working with actors um, uh-huh. and working with directors and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I sort of knew, I knew what I could hear the final product product as we were in recording. Um, and so it wasn't a thing where we were, you know, spending, you know, seven, eight takes trying gotcha, to, gotcha. you know, it, just trying to get everything. It's like I, we would do three or four takes and that's the way I've always done things. And now with, you know, with some of the actors that I've been working with for years, we'll do two takes of something because I, I, I also like, that's a skill that I've just gotten better at of hearing like, okay, yep, that's how I'm going to cut that together. I just need this one line this way because I know, I know how it's going to come out in, in the final edit. Um, but I think even, even back then I sort of knew, not to give myself too much work in the post-production. Gotcha. Now, of course, I still had everything to learn about, like cleaning up files and uh, and doing sound design. But even that, like I kept the sound design very minimal, where it's like the click of a recorder, people walking in, knocking on doors, you know, sitting down, stuff like that, stuff that I could um, could recreate. Um, and that was something that, uh, with the exception of like. Actually, no, the door sound, I think, actually is it's a, it's a combination of a couple of different sounds. But basically everything in the first season of the podcast is stuff that I recorded myself. Uh, I, I did all the Foley. Wow. Because I was just like, you know what? Instead of trying to, to Google for a specific sound, I'm just going to record the sound. There you go. Um, so I went I went around my, my parents' house because I was visiting them in New York. And 
just like opened cabinets and doors and uh, the, the clock in the bright sessions in Dr. Bright's office is my parents' grandfather clock. Um, and, uh, Sam's time travel sound was like the, the one sound that I was like, well, I can't record that. Right. <laughs> so what am I going to do? And so I, uh, I got a bunch, just a bunch of like weird sounds just kind of around my parents' house. And then I literally that Misha, my sound designer has since taken the base of that sound and recreated it in, you know, actual sure. software. Um, but the, the initial sound that you hear in the first 16 episodes, anytime Sam time travels, is literally me going into a mic, just like sucking in air. <laughs> and it's all free. And all those sound effects it's didn't cost free. you anything. <laughs> and I just put, I just like slap some distortion on it, you know? Nice. Um, that original sound actually also has some like, some piano strings scraping really, really buried underneath the sound. Just experiment it, right? Um, but yeah, so that was the stuff that that took the longest um, in, in, in post-production just because like I didn't know with with you know editing and the, and the dialogue edit and stuff like that, I kind of I kind of knew. Yeah, I know how to structure a performance. I know how to structure a scene. Whereas I just didn't know what I didn't know about about sound design. And I and you know I stopped learning anything about sound design once Misha came on board because they're much better than I am at <laughs> this stuff. They're professional, and so I've I've been I've had the luxury of sort of uh, uh, capping out it in, back in 2015 when I was so, doing so. So did you uh, do? Uh, did you finish all nine episodes before you decided to upload them? Um, pretty much. Okay. Uh, we, I, I like had, had made the schedule. Um, it was going to be, you know, three weeks weekly and then one week off and then three weeks weekly. You know, gotcha. again, that's that, that three episode structure starting November 1st. Um, and we started recording in September and I, you know, was giving myself enough of a runway. And I think by the time the second episode came out, we had recorded everything. And by the time the third episode came out, pretty much everything was edited. But I didn't have – I gave myself enough of a runway, but I didn't have everything completely done. And were you working at the time? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so this is your part-time thing while you're working on, uh, on the side or full-time or something? Oh, yeah. I, well, I, I, so I was, I, was working, I was working a part-time job. Um, and I was working a part-time job until August of 2018. Gotcha. So the entire time that I was making the Bright Sessions, I was also working part-time. So you upload the, uh, the the first few episodes, and what is it like when you, you did all this work, it took all this time, you upload them, and now are you just waiting and watching like everybody else does that has a podcast? Who is going to listen? Yeah, it was the most anticlimactic thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's like, because I, I uploaded it, I remember I uploaded it on October 27th, because I, you know, wanted to submit the RSS feed to iTunes and make sure that it, there were enough and I had enough time to actually release everything on November 1st. Um, but I remember I was just like sitting in my apartment. I just uploaded it. It was done. And I was like, oh, and now nothing happens, <laughs> which is just very, you know, very different from, from other things. Um, and then, you know, November 1st was actually like our release day. So that's when we started tweeting. And I'd been like teasing it on my social media, but like I didn't have that many followers on social media at that point. Um, maybe like a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a, I had a YouTube channel which is now defunct um but that had like maybe you know eight or nine thousand subscribers on it and so i i you know had had mentioned it on that i I did an announcement on that so i was hoping to get some of the people from there over there um but mostly it was just like facebook friends right um and yeah that first i think by the end of that first day i mean i i would have to like actually go back and look but we had maybe you know 15 downloads so when and how does it start catching on? So uh, yeah, this this is a question that that 
a lot of people ask me because I want to know like what I, what I did to sort of make it catch on. And honestly, like it was, there was no one big thing that I think made it catch on. It was sort of a cascading effect. And also I think like with anything in any kind of creative career and really life in general, so much of it was just luck and timing. You know, the fact that the fall of 2015 is when Limetone came out, black tapes came out, like all of these fiction podcasts were coming out and, you know, Limetown and Black Tapes were much, much more popular than we were, but it, it was, we were able to kind of ride the wave of fiction podcasts that started in like mid 2015, which was really, really great. And it also, it was a, it was a, a, a rising tide, but it wasn't, um, super overcrowded. And, you know, there weren't so many fiction podcasts to choose from. Um, so we were able to kind of, to, to, to find an audience for the people that were listening to the Black Tapes and Limetown and like stuff like that. But what I did honestly was I just spent, a ton of time just guerrilla marketing essentially. So I would go onto Tumblr and Reddit were the biggest places. Um, I've been on Tumblr for over a decade, which is a horrifying thing to say. Um, and it's a, it's a social media platform that I would say, unless you are like me and you've sort of been in, entrenched in fandom for many, many years, Tumblr is completely opaque as a platform. It's very hard to use and promote on because the typical sort of promotional strategies don't work mm-hmm. um, because you have people who are incredibly skeptical of, of, of sort of, um, you know, corporate promotion or, or self-promotion or anything like that. So it was about, you know, speaking the language of Tumblr, which thankfully I already did just like natively having been on it for so many years. And so I was able to, to sort of find the audience there. And I knew that uh, Tumblr was how I personally found Welcome to Night Vale. Um, and so it's like, I knew that there was an audio drama audience there and then a friend recommended uh, Reddit to me, and I was very scared of Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. But I just went on and um, and started having conversations with people in the podcast subreddit about audio drama. And I was finding, I would look for posts of people looking for audio drama recommendations. You know, the posts that were like, I love Welcome to Night Vale, and we're alive. What else should I listen to? And I think the thing that I, I learned very quickly, because um, it's just like the way that I tend to go into spaces, and then I found it to be very effective is that always doing promotion as a community minded person versus mm-hmm. a self promotion person. So I would go in and say, um, you know, if somebody posted like, uh, I, I love welcome to Night, but what other, you know, fiction podcast could I listen to? I'd go in and say like, Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with Limetown right now. It's really spooky. And like, you know, like it's, but it's genuinely scary, which I know like Nightville isn't. So keep that in mind if you know, but if you want something that's like a little bit less scary, but still really spooky, black tapes is so great. Also, I do a podcast, you know, and, and sort of like genuinely recommend and be enthusiastic about shows that I genuinely was enthusiastic about and then mention that I also had a show. Right. Um, and people, you know, are more are more trusting than if I had just gone in and been like, oh, listen to my show. Um, and so and then, you know, um, eventually I found other audio drama creators like, you know, Ars Paradoxica and the whole Whisper Forge, Wolf 59, um, Archive 81, all of these these podcasts that were kind of being released at the same time. And we started to build a community and, and, you know, promote each other on Twitter and stuff. Eventually, Jeffrey Craner of Night Vale tweeted about us and that kind of, you know, nice. legitimized us to a lot of Night Vale fans, which was amazing. And then we got featured um, on iTunes at the end of our second season. And that was kind of like, from there, it was like, we could say we were, you know, um, you right. know, we had been, been featured and we were best of 2016 and everything. And that, that was sort of off to the races by that point. So what, uh, what is the number of downloads at this point for that first season? For that first or, season? Or, and then, yeah, for that first season or, or overall. I, I mean, I read in Forbes that it was 7 million. 
Yeah, it's it's more it's it's more than that now. It's about okay. double now. Wow. Yeah. And what was it like to be um, featured in Forbes? Oh, it's it's it was so weird. It was so wild. I mean, it's just like <laughs> I I woke up and like had you know a, an email from from Forbes, um, and I like I I I thought it was like a like a spam thing at first. So I almost deleted it, and then I opened it and I was like, oh wait, what? <laughs> Cause they didn't really like, they didn't, I, I don't, I don't know that they necessarily like told me in advance. They, cause they, I, I knew that some friends had nominated me okay. and then they sent like a sort of follow up, like, can you answer this survey and also provide a photo? And I thought that that was just, just meant that I had like been gotten to like the next round or whatever. Um, I didn't realize that that meant that like I, you know, was actually one of the, the 30 under 30 people. So it was, it was very, it's still now kind of surreal and strange. Nice. So now you, you, you clearly you're onto something, right? You figured out all this work and, and this editing and, and recording my parents' door slamming is, is, <laughs> is, is resulted in a smashing success. How do you yeah. follow that? How do you follow that up? You know, what, you, what was your plan after that? And, and then how did you start making money at it? Uh, I mean, there, there, oh, there was no plan. <laughs> <laughs> at no point in a, in any, any part of the brand sessions was there a plan. And I think I say that from like a, a sort of, you know, meta business standpoint, I, I, I think story on the story level, you know, I had, I had a, a, a general plan and I knew kind of when I wanted to end the show, I, I had some goals for certain character arcs, things like that. You know, we did a musical episode that was, that was something I wanted to do, um, and so, yeah, from a story perspective, I, I you know, was building a, a, a plan. But honestly, it was that, like, you know, that 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 gif of, of Gromit from Walls and, and Gromit just, like, putting the railroad tracks down in front of him as he's on this train that's moving. Um, and it was just, I mean, completely, you know, by the seat of my pants type of type of thing. Um, and I never... I never really expected to to make money from it. And I mean, you know, uh, honestly, um, other than getting paid for acting in it, because I'm a SAG actor and legally have to have to get Mm -hmm. paid if I'm under SAG contract. um, Other than that, um, I didn't really ever get consistently paid for writing or producing or show running the Bright Sessions. Um, You know, if we had a little surplus in our budget, I would like pay myself for writing, you know, a season um, I would sort of figure out, you know, okay, like this is, this is what I can sort of give myself. And cause there's no way to, you know, if I was, if I was paying myself hourly, you know, um, oh, yeah. Forget even, it. even $10 an hour for the work that I did for the bread sessions, it's like, it, that would be, you know, 800 times our, our, our budget. Um, so yeah, it was just sort of whatever surplus I think that we could, we could afford, but pretty much all of the money that we made went directly back into making the show because, especially once Misha came on board and I could get more flexible with what I could write because I didn't have to sound design it myself. Um, and, you know, then when we got Evan on board as our composer and, and we started to get, you know, advertising money and, and, and Patreon money, um, things like the musical episode and like having a, a 30 minute episode with seven actors became possible where it hadn't been possible before. And so really the money went to the service of, of the story plan versus any kind of real life plan. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's, it was really only sort of like 2018, you know, two and a half years into the show where I started to slow down. It was really towards the end of, of season four where I was like, okay, you know, I've been doing this. I cannot sustain the thing that I've been doing for, for, you know, the past couple of years. Cause I'm not 24 anymore. Um, and I'm just, you know, it's been, it's been a a long road and it's been a lot of fun, but I need to 
I need to make, I think that this can be my career and I need to now start treating it as such. Um, and yeah. And so I started, you know, um, writing on other shows and, you know, doing like pitching the AM archives out. Now it's coming out on luminary and actually treating it like something that I actually need to be paid for. So where, so where are you now with the bright sessions and another season in July? Is that right? No, no, no. So uh, the Bright Sessions uh, itself is is wrapped. Okay. So we actually just released our final bonus episode uh, in just a couple weeks ago. So we wrapped the whole um, the whole series last June because I, I I knew I knew I wanted to to sort of conclude these character arcs at this particular point. Um, I'm I, I'm always I'm definitely one of those TV fans who like some shows go on you know seven seasons, sure. season five, right. Um, and so I, I wanted to really end it on my terms. And then we did these bonus episodes of just like extra therapy sessions for the past nine months. Um, and uh, we're doing our first spinoff. Um, so we're doing a show called The AM Archives. It's coming out on Luminary, a new platform on April 23rd. The first episode drops. And that's in some ways a continuation of The Bright Sessions in the sense that there's five returning characters from The Bright Sessions. And it picks up after The Bright Session ends but it's a completely new format, a completely new story. Um, it's the like one of the things that I, one of the reasons I wanted to do like a spinoff instead of just saying like, okay, well here's season five of the Bright Sessions and it's just right. different. Is that the Bright Sessions to me is like this very, it's very important to me. It's very precious to me. It's this contained emotional story. These really small, intimate conflicts. You know, there's not a lot of. There's not a lot of plot in the Bright Sessions, right? The Bright Sessions isn't about plot; it's about emotions, um, and uh, and I wanted that I wanted that to be what it is forever. I didn't I didn't I didn't want to like add, just continue to write it and just add more and more plot and more and more characters. But I still, you know, love this world, and there are so many different ways to go. And so the AM Archives is, it's you know, it's it's a very contained kind of plot driven show with a cast of twenty. So, you know, wow. 15 new cast members um, and it's got it's like fully scored. It's, you know, it's not kind of, uh, you know, in that record, like everything's recorded kind of format. It's com- it's completely just like a like a audio drama. You're just dropped into the action, which means that we, you know, we're able to do things like go time traveling with Sam, which we've never done before, which we do in the AM archives. Um, and so, yeah, it's I'm, I'm really, really excited about what, just like getting did- to expand. What did the yeah. listeners? What did the listeners think when you said this is it, season four? I'm shutting her down. I mean, people people were sad, but I think that you know they understood that like all things must come to an end, and and that I think that there's a I think there's a degree of like um, satisfaction that comes with knowing because we we announced at, in between our uh, in, in in between our sort of two halves of season four. So after our first eight episodes and before we went into our last eight and we said, you know, this is, this is going to be the last eight episodes of the show, okay. but it was also, you know, tempered with like, we have a book, like my first book comes out in September, which is a, a bright sessions novel. Um, and we, we're going to be doing these nine bonus episodes. Um, so it was like, it was a, it was a slow, right. like gentle letdown. <laughs> of like, like we're ending, but also here's the other things and we're right. hoping to do some spinoffs. And cause at that point I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to do the AM archive. So I said, you know, kind of stay tuned, but who knows? Um, and so I think people knew that it was not like the end of this universe or these characters, but yeah, I think, I think there's a, a, there seems to be a degree of satisfaction over just like watching these people, you know, grow and, and grow closer and kind of find this family and then come to a place where they're okay, you know, cause that's really yeah. what the Brexit is about. It's about just trying to be okay. 
Um, and so I wanted to make sure I got all those characters to a place that they, they were okay. Well, tell us about the connection or the call you get from Luminary. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, had been, been trying to figure out a way to, to, you know, uh, get the AM archives made. Cause just looking at what I wanted to do with it, I, you know, we hired two other writers. I knew I needed to get paid for writing, writing. I, I wanted to have a lot more actors. I wanted to have the full score. I wanted to pay Misha, you know, their actual rate for sound design versus the, you know, friend rate that they've been giving me for years. Um, and, you know, I worked at the budget and I was like, Oh I, yeah, we can't make this unless we have fun. <laughs> um, and I got, I got connected with luminary and just like talking to Matt Sachs, the CEO there and just like seeing his passion for his genuine passion for podcasts and then talking to him about what a partnership would look like and the amount of creative freedom that I would have. Um, and the fact that like luminary really, really trusts their creators to just make the content that they make and make it well. And they, they're very hands off. And that's just such a rare thing, especially somebody who, you know, lives in Los Angeles and has a lot of friends in television. It's like, that's just unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it just seemed, it just seems like a, a no brainer. Um, and it would just to, just to be able to really, to make something where everybody's actually being paid fairly and that is sustainable and that we can, not only make a great show, but we can level up in a huge way. It was, it was so exciting. So you took some, uh, there was some backlash when you announced you were going to be on Luminary because it will be a paid, uh, it will be a paywall for people. Yeah. So, uh, you, you, you tried to deal with that as, as nicely as you could, but, uh, <laughs> pe people just want things for free. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I get it, you know, it like, it, it, it sucks when, when something that you love, um, you know, sort of changes or, or you like you, you know, you expect to get to consume something in a certain way. And then it's not that way anymore. It's like, it's, the, it's jarring. And I get that. Um, and I think, you know, where I have no, <laughs> no regrets about, you know, the decisions I've made is that, um, this isn't the bright sessions, right? Like it shares a lot of DNA with the bright sessions. It has some of the same characters and obviously, you know, it's in the same universe, but the bright sessions ended. And like, and regardless of, of making a spinoff, the Bright Sessions was always going to end in the way that it ended. And the Bright Sessions is always going to be free. Um, but, you know, I, it was either I, I make it and it goes behind a, a, a paywall or I don't make it at all. Um, and in my mind, it's like I, I want to continue to work with this team. I want to give these incredibly talented people more stuff to, to work with. I want to work with these writers and help give them, a, you know, a different kind of platform for their for their amazing writing. Um, and you know, it, it is, it is drawing, but also like, it's just not sustainable to make audio drama completely for free. And it's like, I, yeah, it's like, you know, if you can, if you can make an audio drama and, and completely fund it through Patreon and through advertising, absolutely do that. There's, I'm hoping to do that with future audio dramas and things like that. Um, but just, this was not going to be something that looking at all the numbers that we had and kind of, you know, working out all the potentialities, um, that I would be able to ensure that I actually could pay everybody. Um, and that's, you know, I never want to be in a position where I'm making something and then late on payments to people who are working really hard. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I understand the frustration, but also I just also as somebody who is very invested in audio drama succeeding as an industry and as a legitimate form of entertainment. I think that, you know, somebody needs to take, take the leaps um, and somebody needs to, to, you know, make take, I guess, take, you know, take the risks of like, all right, I'm going to try something new and we're going to see if it works. And I feel that that's, 
as, as one of the, you know, more established audio drama creators, I feel that that's something that I can do with, with maybe less consequence than somebody who's just coming up. Um, and also I can use it to then hopefully elevate, you know, yeah. other audio drama creators who don't have the access to things that, that I do. Um, and to me, it's like, I, it, I've, it is my responsibility as a creator who cares about this, this medium to just, you know, throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. So you're in your 20s when you start writing this, uh, at least according to Forbes, uh, uh, you, uh, you're writing this script. And yeah. um, did you did you ever think, man, I'm doing all this work. It's It, it just doesn't seem like uh, all this time is going to pay off. Did you ever think, you know, of throwing in the towel? And what advice do you have to uh, for other people, other folks that want to be podcasters and be storytellers to get them over that hump? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely times in, in season two, which I was just, I was very dumb and ambitious. And, I, you know, we, we finished our first season. We were having such a good time that not a lot of people were listening, but we were having a great time. And so I was like, all right, we're going to do season two and we're going to do 20 episodes and we're going to release them weekly, which was a completely insane thing to do. Um, because, it was just, I mean, I don't remember the spring of 2016 at all because I was just so overworked. Um, and I, you know, I, I think in some ways the releasing weekly and sort of the, the insane amount of content we were releasing is one of the reasons that we built an audience so fast and so hugely in season two, um, because it was exciting and, you know, there was lots of content coming out. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, there were times where I was like, this is just unsustainable. I can't, I cannot work, you know, 80 hours a week at this and then still, you know, work 20, 30 hours a week in my part-time job. And like that, that, that math doesn't work. Right. Um, but I think for me, the thing that I, I, even, even then I didn't necessarily anticipate it being something that, um, would actually ever pay my rent or turn into a career. Um, but I just kept going because I, I just loved making the story. I just loved working with my actors. And, and you know, that's when Misha came on board and getting to work with them and, and just really expand my storytelling. Um, it was just it was just so fulfilling and so, so much fun. And so I think that's my advice is like, don't like I think, you know, it's like audio drama and podcasts in general are just a very hot thing to get into right now. Right. Because it's like the budgets are, are much less taxing than, you know, other mediums. Um, it's, there's that whole like low barrier to entry discourse, which I have a lot of opinions about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you can really find your audience. You can make something really specific and find your audience. Um, and so I think a lot of people are getting into it. And I think if you, you know, are making a show and your main priority in making the show is like, okay, I'm looking at the landscape of podcasting. And I think this type of show is going to do well with this kind of audience. Maybe, maybe don't bother <laughs> if that's why you're making the show. Like it just, because you think that there's an audience in podcasting and it will be successful. I don't know. I, I I'm skeptical about how successful that actually will be because once you actually get into the grind of making a podcast, unless you really, really love it, it's, it's not going to be worth it. Right. You have um, to have the passion for, for what you're doing. Yeah, it has to, the, the story, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, like the, the project itself always has to come first. That has to be the thing it has to be like, I just really want to tell the story. And I think audio is the best way to do it. Or audio is the thing that I have access to or whatever it is, but I want to tell the story. I want to talk about this thing. Um, whatever it is, it has to, that has to be your number one priority because that'll make the, the late nights and the, the grind so much more bearable. 
So last question, Lauren, you're, you're, you're writing your first script. You're, you're thinking about making a, a, a podcast like this. And this August, you're going to be a, the keynote speaker at Podcast Movement. Yeah. <laughs> Put that into perspective. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's wild. And actually, it's, it's, it's funny because I've been thinking about the – when they asked me to, to be the keynote speaker, I was like – my first reaction is like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> um, and even now it's like thinking about, you know, I still have a couple months to actually write a thing, but mm-hmm. thinking about what I can, you know, the, the pearls of wisdom or the, re, you know, relatability or whatever I can, that I can relate to an audience interested in fiction podcasting. I'm thinking about, you know, like, well, why am I, why am I qualified to do that? Um, and it, it still feels like, I think there's still that degree of imposter syndrome of like, this doesn't feel like, something that I'm an expert in, despite the fact that like in the grand scheme of things, there aren't that many experts in, 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 you know, audio fiction in, in the U S at least, obviously in, in the UK, there's a much longer tradition of, of this kind of storytelling, but like, yeah, it's, it's bizarre to, to really actually be a professional in this space because I still feel like I'm learning constantly, which I think is a good thing. You know, I, I want to constantly be challenged and I want to learn from my peers and continue to grow and grow the medium. But it definitely feels, I, I definitely feel a little bit still like I'm, you know, a kid walking in my parents' shoes or something. <laughs> well, when they hear you say Blue Yeti and I was editing myself on Adobe, uh, it's, it's, it, they're, they're all going to feel like, you know, they're in your shoes too. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, good luck with the, uh, with the new podcast on Thank April you. 23rd, AM Archives, and yeah. that'll be on Luminary. So everybody's looking forward to that. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Have a good one.